From Canada Land, this is Oppo. I'm Jen Gerson from Calgary, and I'm opposed to Justin Lang most of the time. I'm Justin Lang in Toronto, and I'm opposed to Jen Gerson occasionally. So, uh, didn't you guys have an election recently? We did. How'd that go? Bad. (laughs) Okay, but to be fair, it was going to be bad no matter what happened. There was no winning there. There was only darkness and sadness for everyone. It's been a hell of a week for Canada. We've had a hard time actually figuring out how to introduce this show because the whole last couple of days have felt like just a never-ending car crash. Like, Doug Ford was elected on Thursday. Like, we're recording this on Sunday. You've been listening to this on Tuesday. I assume we'll all be dead by then. Yeah, well, I mean, or at the very least, America will have invaded. This is going to be your last Oppo podcast brought to you by (laughs) the free citizens of Canada. Brought to you by the apocalypse. (laughs) So, you know, on on this week's show, we're going to try to break down just what the hell happened at the G7, from steel tariffs to dairy tariffs to Russia's back now, apparently. So (laughs) that's fun. We're also going to chat a lot about supply management, which personally excites me a lot because I've been like hacking away at this one for years and years now. It's going to be great. (laughs) And surprise, me and Jen are going to agree on it. So dairy farmers, get your inkwells replenished. I assume that's how we're still writing letters. And prepare your invectives because we are going to dive headlong into some milk. Check out the easy-to-use cloud accounting software that saves small business owners two days a month in paperwork and gets them paid up to five days faster. For a 30-day free trial, go to freshbooks.com slash oppo. Oppo is also supported in part by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes. This kit is meant for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. They source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantity needed so there's no food waste, and it's all delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. For 50% off your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash oppo and enter the promo code OPPO when you subscribe. Amateurish, dishonest, sophomoric. No, we're not yet reading listener feedback. We're reading feedback about Justin Trudeau, supplied helpfully by Trump's economic advisor, Larry Kudlow. Another Trump aide suggested there was, quote, a special place in hell for Trudeau the Younger. So let's step back here a moment. And let's explain what's going on. So the leaders of the of the, the seven most important economies on Earth met this weekend in Quebec to talk about all kinds of stuff that they usually get around to talk about, from trade issues to on the agenda this, this particular year was supposed to be climate change, protection of oceans. We were going to be talking about plastic straws and shit. And like a week ago, the thing we were all asking ourselves is whether or not Trump was going to bother to show up. I mean, there was going to be a whole section about the status of women. And we all know what Trump thinks about women. I mean, this nothing was supposed to be on the agenda that was supposed to be at all interesting to this guy. And this was supposed to be Trudeau's consolidation of himself as Mr. International, Mr. Liberal Order, the sort of third amigo to uh, Macron and to Merkel. And oh my God. God, did that ever not happen? I mean, we knew that this thing was going to be a little bit off the rails. The whole G7 conference was just before Trump's visit to Singapore to discuss North Korea with Kim Jong-un. It also came on the back of new steel tariffs, a series of angry tweets from the president. And by the time everyone landed in Charlevoix, Quebec, 
everyone was just freaked out. You know, it's sort of like going to a wedding and realizing that, uh, you know, the bride's ex-boyfriend was invited too. Everyone's just sitting there and staring and waiting to see what's going to happen. Trump basically just knocked everything off the table, like pushed a stapler to the floor, you know, knocked over a, you know, a cup of tea, left, and then attacked everyone on, on social media afterwards. It was one of the most bizarre international disputes I've ever seen or been aware of. I mean, this is this is up there in like dumb diplomacy. Like this is another level. So following on the uh, bride's ex-boyfriend analogy, it's the bride's ex-boyfriend after a really, really ugly breakup who decides to come to the wedding late and to leave early in a really, really showy huff of whatever. I mean, that that's also he what fell he did. Back in, he fell back into doing meth at the same time. Yeah, exactly. It's like he was doing meth <laughs> in the bathroom. He was having like sex with one of the bridesmaids. Like that is, that is, that's oh, how this metaphor. G7 I don't went. see any problems with that. There's so much stuff to unpack here. So we kind of broke it down in four chapters. We're going to go through steel. We're going to go through dairy. We're going to go through Russia because apparently Russia is going to be back at the G8 now. No, they're not. No, he's <laughs> well, not. We're going to see. Okay. Uh, and then finally, we're going to figure out what comes next because how do you top this? It can probably only get worse from here. So oh, we're going to figure out just how <laughs> further into the ocean we can slide. So let's start with the steel and aluminum tariffs. In the midst of ongoing NAFTA negotiations, presumably to gain some kind of leverage over the Canadians, um, us, Donald Trump about a month ago, introduced steel and aluminum tariffs and then sort of gave us this uh, weird month-long exemption that then repealed itself on May 31st. These are pretty punitive steel and aluminum tariffs. I believe it's, what, 30% on... 25% for steel, 10% for aluminum. Okay, there we go. Um, 25% for steel, 10% for aluminum. This is, of course, going to have a pretty serious uh, impact on our industry, although we don't really know exactly how bad it's going to be in the long run. And so in response, Trudeau and the Liberal government have responded with like a dollar-for-dollar tariff on things like Kentucky bourbon and, you know... Gherkins. Dill pickles and like mayonnaise and like stuff that's really meant to target... Can we refer to this from now on exclusively as the Gherkin War? The Gherkin war. I, no, I think that's brilliant. In fact, that's genius. This is the Gherkin war, the Gherkin trade war. And this sounds sort of absurd, but what they're, they're very targeted tariffs. They're meant to target stuff from states and regions that will hurt key and prominent members of Congress, for example. I think that McConnell's being hit by the bourbon and Paul Ryan's being hit by the gherkins. Yeah, yeah, of course, Paul Ryan's infamous love of gherkins. I'm super fascinated by this because something you said earlier, actually, I think is wrong. Um, you, you said earlier, Trump slapped these steel and aluminum tariffs on as a way of sort of exerting pressure on other countries. And this is something he says himself. He frequently says, you know, we've been treated unfairly. We're doing this, you know, in order to get a better deal, reduce our, you know, our trade deficit. I actually don't think that's the case. What's really happening here is you have people in the administration who have had an obsession for decades with the domestic steel industry. I don't know if they watched that one episode of The Simpsons one too many times where it was all the gay steelworkers and they got really obsessed. But uh, Peter Navarro and Wilbur Ross are two of his uh, trade advisors who have had this like decades-long obsession with American-made steel. Now, when they got into the administration, they very quickly started trying to figure out a way to slap steel tariffs on that would not result in some huge blow up at the WTO that they would lose. And that magic bullet came by way of the national security provisions. It's called Section 232. And it's basically a case whereby the Commerce Department can launch an investigation. And I'm going to put investigation in scare quotes. But 
basically the Commerce Secretary can look into whether or not the domestic industry needs to be propped up in order to advance the country's national security or whether or not we need to keep foreign materials out in order to save the domestic industry. They're basically making the case that without a domestic steel industry, we wouldn't have a military and the idea of the out of the country would be invaded by China or something. It's ludicrous. It's absolutely insane. This is basically a conspiracy theory that China's going to try to dump cheap steel into the United States to undercut all the domestic steel industry and basically have a chokehold over all steel tanks and F-35 and fighter jets and whatnot. China might try to do that, but it has been trying to do this for decades and is ultimately unsuccessful. Only about 10% of American steel comes from China. But the really crazy argument that they've made is that China is going to try to dump steel into Canada and the steel that Canada makes will actually be Chinese and then America is going to buy Chinese steel through Canada. It's bizarre. Fun fact, the amount of steel that actually comes into Canada, I think Chinese steel accounts for like 9% of our steel yeah. imports. Our top country of import for steel is actually America. Yeah. <laughs> and export. Like, yes, and exports too. It's an integrated too. steel industry. Exactly. Anyway, so... Trump slapped tariffs on his own steel industry. But Justin, none of what you said matters because then Trump did this massive turnaround and said that basically, no, 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 it wasn't for national security provisions. I mean, we all know that's just basically bullshit that he's using. It's a loophole that he's using to try and get these tariffs put on our industry. But then he more or less reversed himself and said, no, no, your steel and aluminum tariffs are retaliatory for your dairy tariffs, your supply-managed dairy system. So none of it matters. <laughs> he basically just wrote the Canadian case for a suit at the WTO already. So that'll be fun when they eventually adjudicate it like eight years from now. That'll be wonderful. But this is an old, old American obsession is our dairy sector. And I, to be totally honest, I kind of agree with Trump here. Yes, because he's actually right. And that's what makes this so painful, is that even though his his weird trade war on the aluminum and the steel stuff is batshit crazy and counterproductive and will only increase prices for his own people in the U.S., actually, he's entirely right. We have an insane... Okay, are we going to do supply... Is that going to be where we go now? Are we doing supply management? We're doing supply management. Because once we go into supply management, man, that's a rabbit hole we are not coming out of. Dive into the milk. All right, are you ready? Are you ready to be inundated by angry tweets from dairy farmers (laughs) and the children who stand to inherit their multi-billion dollar quotas? Okay, a billion is a little... Yeah, Jen, go on. Oh, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) The value of all of the quotas on all of the cows and chickens in Canada is like $23 billion. It's nuts. You add them all together and, and give them market value, which is insane. Okay, I'm making a joke. Jesus Christ. Let's back up. Let's talk about supply management, because I think a lot of people don't actually understand what supply management is and why the president is so mad at it. Supply management is basically a system of quotas and price controls um, that affects chicken, dairy, eggs, and poultry in general. The way it works is basically the government sets the amount that each person is allowed to make in a given year. Usually farmers have to buy quotas. So they buy a certain amount. I can make, you know, 10 kilograms of eggs every month and sell them. You sell them to government managed marketing boards. The marketing boards then turn and sell them to grocery stores and other places. The prices are all set by these boards. The amount that you're allowed to produce in the whole market is set by these boards. Who can get quotas and who can get in the system is all decided by these boards. It is. Soviet. 
Yes. I mean, this is literally communalism. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so that, here's that, some that's fun not facts. a bad thing. And I, I'm not. I'm not trying oh, no, to be red scary uh, here. That's no, not no, necessarily that, a bad thing. It is a bad thing. No, it's no, it, it, it's a bad thing. <laughs> Soviet style quota management is bad. I think we can all establish that now. But here's some fun facts about our current supply managed dairy system. The amount of money that you spend, just the average Canadian consumer spends, we spend about twice as much on milk. As our Canadian equivalents. American equivalents. Yes. Um, supply management dairy costs the average family, depends on how you want to count it, anywhere between $200 and $650 per year in higher prices on these specific products. The actual cost of dairy, uh, while it's been de- massively declining in the U.S. over the last 30-odd years, has actually been going up in Canada over the last 30 years. And here's another fun fact. For all of those people who are going to complain that, oh, those poor you know, family dairy farmers, we need to protect them from the predations of the American industry. Yeah, the number of dairy farmers in Canada since 1971 has dropped 91%, which means overwhelmingly what we are protecting are very large dairy businesses. The average income of a dairy farming household is $250,000 per year gross. So like these people are not poor, you know, scrabbling, hard knock dairy farmers who are the core. Like these are agribusinesses that we're protecting through this system. Wealthy agribusinesses that we are subsidizing through our higher grocery bills in order to do this. So what supply management does is that essentially it creates a quota. But whenever you create sort of an artificial limitation or an artificial scarcity, when a government does this, It just means that you also create artificial value in a quota. This happens all over the place. You know, when you have, for example, you know, say 10 taxi licenses, okay, uh, it's to supply a particular city. Well, the value of each of those individual taxi licenses now has an enormous price attached to it above and beyond what the government's charging, right? So now like a $10 taxi license, if there are only 10 of them, may have a $10,000 value on the actual market. The same things happened with um, supply management. Because there are a limited number of quotas in the system, the actual value of a cow isn't just the cow. The value of owning a fucking dairy cow is $28,000 per cow, per fucking cow, which means that if you are a small farmer or an artisanal whatever local hipster and you want to get into this market on anything resembling a competitive scale, you know, your actual startup costs is going to be above and beyond buying the animals and the farm and the feed and all the stuff that actually is required to generate milk. About 75% of your startup costs are going to have to go to buying quota. Right. It's it's millions and millions of dollars and billions of dollars of value of artificial value in quota. And as a result of this, there is a huge industry in Canada that is utterly um, Utterly. desperate, utterly, Uh, utterly, utterly utterly desperate to sort of maintain this system because the value of the quota is now baked in. It's like the value of their homes. It's, it's, It's all of their wealth is now baked into maintaining this artificial system. So, you know, these these dairy boards spend like millions and millions of dollars per year scaring the shit out of Canadians into maintaining this ridiculous inflated system. And like, I swear to God to you, but the second this show comes out, we are going to be inundated with like these tweet bots from people, from farmers from all over Canada who are going to be horrified that like we're saying anything bad about supply management. I will retweet them. If I'm found dead, check. I guarantee you I've been shot with like a frozen milk bullet. Um, (laughs) That's how they take out their critics. You heard it here first. Canada Land Conspiracy Radio. It's worse than Russia. I mean, we, we will just be disappeared. <laughs> oh, oh, that is going to be the poll quote that we're definitely hearing from this. <laughs> oh, 
we're just going to be disappeared over supply management. So listen, I agree with you. I think supply management is wildly outdated. I think it's time we move on. I think it's time we find a fair price to pay all of those dairy farmers to buy out their quotas and have them compete in the open market like beef producers, like pork producers. Like 80% of our agricultural industry, 80% of it is not supply managed. And nobody hates supply management more than those who are not supply managed. Everyone else in the market hates this system. Now, I think there was a good reason why we had it. It was a good thing to do, especially in an era where we were sitting right next to a massive, massive dairy market that didn't have the same quality controls or the same uh, safety regulations as ours did. That is no longer true. We should no longer be afraid of American milk. We're going to be fine. Oh, no, no. Wait till the tweet bots come in and tell you all about how the human growth hormone has been injected into American milk. And if we in- <laughs> we invite American milk into our product, well, all of our children are going to grow third testicles or something. Like, seriously, it's that insane. And like, can I also just point out? No, I need to point this out. This needs to be said. Supply management is not what keeps shitty American milk out of Canada. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency is that's what that's what that's what they're for. Here's your enthusiastic defense of the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, care of Jen Gerson. <laughs> Dashing my thing against the floor. Okay. I hate this argument every time. It's the same shit. It all comes down to special pleading. And I just, it makes me so angry that Trump is right about this. Well, he's partly right. Okay, so I don't love supply management, but if we decide to get rid of it, that should be our decision. Now, there's been a couple of trade agreements over the last decade or so that have resulted in us sort of kind of scaling back uh, supply management a bit. So the one part we haven't talked about supply management is basically the tariffs and the trade barriers to every other country who wants to compete in Canada. It's not just that we set price controls for Canadian cheese, which, by the way, is just okay. Uh, It's that we keep out foreign cheese with pretty significant tariffs. If you want to import, say, Parmesan from Parmesan City, Italy. I want fucking foreign cheese so goddamn bad. (laughs) The tariff is, and this is the one you've heard Trump referencing a whole bunch this week, the tariff is 276%. Now, that is the highest end of the tariff. More of the other tariffs, like for milk, is only about 80 or 100%. It's not as extravagant as uh, 276% for for most cheeses. So I'm just going to say, like, one of my big frustrations with what Trump is doing here is that, like, he's actually trying to create a trade regime that would benefit the average Canadian consumer enormously. But the problem is that as long as he's basically bullying our prime minister and being an asshole to us, you know, you're going to see people even like me and you go back to the wall defending our overpriced, mediocre fucking cheese on principle. And that's what's so counterproductive about all of this. If we decide to get rid of it, it's our decision. And it's also really important to note, and, and this is what's so infuriating about this, America aggressively subsidizes its dairy industry. Sure. Aggressively. And you can thank politicians like Paul Ryan from the great cheese state of... Wisconsin for maintaining and promoting a lot of those subsidies. But you know what? But you know what? If America wants to subsidize cheaper cheese for us, fine. Let them. Well, no, because that is an indirect trade benefit, right? So if we get rid of supply management tomorrow, we would not just let in American cheese because we would recognize that it's subsidized. We would actually have to put tariffs on American cheese to offset the subsidies so he wouldn't just wipe out the Canadian dairy market. And maybe that's okay, but Trump should realize that because he doesn't seem to. Larry Kudlow is on CNN on Sunday saying that America doesn't have subsidies for dairy. Yes, no, it does. It Bullshit. Does. You have aggressive, massive industry-wide subsidies that we can't compete against. So you know what? You want us to get rid of supply management? Get rid of your subsidies. Let's dance, motherfucker. Let's cheese dance. 
Have you ever experienced that aha moment when you discover there's a much easier way to do something compared to how you've been doing it all along? I did when I quit my job. No. <laughs> <laughs> Familiar with that. Ah, co-quitting. If you're self-employed and managing your paperwork after quitting your job, you've realized that that means wrestling with spreadsheet formulas and a shoebox full of crumpled receipts. Well, the people at FreshBooks, they want to help. FreshBooks has become the go-to cloud accounting software for literally millions of small business owners who found a faster, more efficient, and much less stressful way to deal with their numbers. Here are three ways using FreshBooks may just inspire your very own aha moment. Preparing and sending a polished branded invoice that takes about 30 seconds. This is true. You can set yourself up to receive online payments from your clients in two clicks, which on average will end up getting you paid twice as fast. And their new proposal feature means that you can include your project summary and timeline as part of your estimate. Right now, FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for all our listeners. To claim yours, go to freshbooks.com slash oppo and enter OPPO in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Whether you like it or not, and it may not be politically correct, but we have a world to run. And in the G7, which used to be the G8, they threw Russia out. They should let Russia come back in because we should have... Russia at the negotiating table. So Russia's coming back, maybe. Nah. I think a lot of people would are lost on a bit of the nuance of this, right? Because, you know, the G7 is that, you know, that big party where all the world leaders show up and eat fancy steaks and kind of discuss nothing. You know, even Trump seems to have kind of lost the point of why Russia was disinvited in the first place. You know, when he, I think, tweeted at one point, he kind of said, for whatever reason, or he kind of said when they were kicked out, he didn't specify the fact that they were kicked out because they grabbed a large part of Ukraine. I mean, Russia invaded not a NATO country, but potentially a soon-to-be NATO or soon-to-be EU country, and just stole a big chunk of their land and is still engaging in a proxy war with separatists in the eastern part of Ukraine. He was disinvited from the G8 because he flaunted all international law and basically did what the Soviet Union was doing for much of the Cold War. And that's not okay. Well, also, I would also point out that doubling down on uh, your pariah state status by meddling in the 2016 election, not helping your case. Even still, Putin has a huge interest in getting back into the G7, the G8. And obviously, he looks at at, uh, Trump as a vehicle for doing exactly that. And it's not just Trump, the new uh, Italian prime minister, who, of course, represents sort of the anti-establishment and coincidentally pro-Russia five-star movement and also the far-right anti-immigrant like a Nord and Brotherhood. Anyway, he's also in favor of letting uh, Putin potentially back into the G8. This is really bad. You now have two of the seven countries openly wondering whether or not Putin can come back in. If that happens, it shows that there is no consequences for invading an allied nation. All bets are off. You can do whatever the fuck you want now. Well, and the other thing that I would point out is that with all of the focus uh, that Putin has on getting back into the G8, what that actually communicates to us is that this was a really effective thing to do. Yes. That kicking him out of the G8 actually was a pretty effective punishment. Now, what I don't understand, I don't think that the U.S. can unilaterally flip a switch and say Russia's invited back in. I mean, I think they actually need to form consensus from the rest of rest of the countries that are in the G7. And if there's one thing that, that Trump, Canada has basically put a veto on it already. Well, I know that. But if one thing that there's tr- that Trump has demonstrably proven really, really bad at, it's actually gaining consensus from his allies who are on his side. He's not so great at that. So I, I think this is a bit of a non-issue. It's just it's really interesting to note that he's making this play in light of some of the allegations against him and his campaign team. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing he keeps saying when he was asked about this by reporters is basically, oh, you know, we need to be able to talk to them. You know, it's not doing anyone any good by keeping Russia out of the loop. But 
that's incredibly facile and stupid. Also, I mean, it's like nothing stopping them from talking. Wasn't the head of the ambassador for Russia in like the Oval Office within days of Trump being elected and get like, like yeah. oh yeah, and he also what got secret information he wasn't supposed to get about undercover operatives and things like that. Like like who's not talking to Russia? People are talking to Russia just fine. Russia's not lacking the ability to communicate, according to a couple of bot farms and. God knows where. One of the big problems with letting Russia into back into the G8 or the G7 is that they disrupt the meeting. You know, the G7 has actually become a weirdly useful forum over the last couple of years, especially since Russia's gone, to be honest, to actually kind of launch initiatives, whether it's, you know, a mutual framework on climate change, whether it's getting rid of um, plastic development straws. In, in, plastic straws. That's a big thing now. I'm actually totally on board with the plastic I've straws. I've got a toddler, the man. Plastic country. straws saved my life. Don't even get me started on this. <laughs> So can we have a can we have a toddler exemption on Pastrick straws? That's all I'm asking for. Just get I mean, there's other options. But but what I was getting at is that you know obviously letting Russia back in would would disrupt everything. Part of the problem is is that maybe we don't even need Russia for that. Trump has done a good fucking enough job disrupting things as is. I actually am gonna suggest that maybe the G7 might not really exist in its current form this time next year. No, so long as Trump is president. I don't know that the G7 can actually survive this. And that was kind of a thing that Trump started suggesting over the last couple of days. You know, he went into this meeting, wasn't clear he was going to show up in the first place. He went in, he fumbled around, he skipped a bunch of meetings. He eventually signs onto a communique. And then when Trudeau gets asked about, you know, the current state of tariffs, Trudeau says we're going to defend ourselves. Actually gave, I actually thought, kind of a meek statement overall on Canada's defensiveness in this seeming trade war that we have going on. It was it was very Canadian. And Trump goes ballistic. Yeah. Trump goes ballistic yeah. and pulls his name from the communique, pulls his uh, support from the various initiatives, including helping women and girls in the developing world. And, you know, it's a pretty clear sign that, you know, I don't know that this forum can exist with, you know, a inherently chaotic person like Trump in the White House. Fine. Let the Americans isolate themselves. What I think is interesting is that Trump's picking on Trudeau. Now, keep in mind, I think Trump has the classic bully's instinct. You know, he's always going to pick on the weakest kid in the room and he's going to try and identify the weakest faults of the weakest kid in the room. The fact that he's going after Trudeau and not Merkel is really interesting to me. And I don't blame Trudeau for that. I'm When it comes to how Trudeau is managing this shit show, I think that they're doing the best that they can. And I actually don't have a lot to fault them for. But I think that it's interesting to me that clearly Donald Trump was not expecting Canadians to actually start fighting back on some of this trade war stuff. I think that he expected us to be a weak country. I think he expected us to capitulate very quickly. And I think he expected Trudeau to be a weak leader. And I think a lot of his overreaction and his insane sort of bluster over the last few days, especially on Twitter, is indicative of the fact that we're not as malleable as he had thought or hoped. Uh, Yeah, I totally disagree. Oh, there oh, you go. Okay. That great, word. great. Cool. Let's go. <laughs> I actually think we fucked this up. You know, if you've listened to the show before, you've actually heard me say that I think we're doing a great job on trade. We're winning allies in Congress. We have people in the White House on our side. You know what? Fuck that. It didn't work. We have totally misplayed this potentially from day one. You know, I think there was good signs early on. We should have pivoted course probably six months ago. This is a disaster and it's only going to get worse. I'm weirdly coming around to Andrew Scheer on this, even though Andrew Scheer is just a reflexive contrarian when it comes to everything Trudeau. If Trudeau came out and 
said that you know Canada was going to preserve uh, you know the the bald eagle. Uh, Andrew Shear would probably start choking them to death. Yeah, well, Shear's actually come out on Trudeau's side on Twitter. No, he hasn't. He kind of half-heartedly goes, yeah, he oh, we, we support okay, you. But, anyway. but then the next minute, starts viciously attacking the prime minister. But you know, I don't think we've played this correctly. You know, why was he not going after Merkel? Why has he become seemingly BFFs with Macron? Why is he on side with seemingly every other country, even if he slaps tariffs on them? Why is he not? viciously attacking them like he's attacking Trudeau. I think it's because Trudeau has tried to play both sides. He's tried to play Trump whisperer. And then, you know, when that hasn't totally worked, he's kind of started stumping and and trying to play politics and sort of outmode Andrew Scheer on, on being the loudest supporter of Canadian trade. I don't think it's smart. I'm all for, you know, standing up to Trump if that's what our strategy is. And I'm all for trying to back channel with him if that's what our strategy is. You can't do both. Pick a side. If you try to do both, both are going to fail. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. I mean, my instinct on this one is that we're dealing with a bully and bullies respect strength and shows of strength and dominance. And that's it. So, you know, is the problem here that we tried to be too friendly up front? Maybe, maybe that was our problem. But now we're in a situation where I don't think Canada has any choice but to get really aggressive and mean and straightforward and extraordinarily passive aggressive. And I think we should just own that and get passive aggressive. You know, I don't think we should be above giving, I don't think we should be above like giving American tourists hell at the border. Fine, let's go. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think we should be above, you know. We literally can't do that. That's not legal and under NAFTA and some other things. Um, Well, they give give us hell at the border, man. I'm just saying make it, I'm just saying make their lives a little bit more unpleasant. You know what I mean? Like, like I mean, Scott Gilmore actually had a really excellent column on McLean's about this one. He was just like, look, Trump is seeking our prestige. Or I think it was Paul Wells as well. Trump is seeking our prestige. It's time to start not giving it. You know, maybe we should start putting sanctions on Trump properties and Trump's business interests. Like, maybe we need to start considering those options. That is, that is a, a surefire way to escalate into something that will probably result in, you know, Trump running through Ottawa and burning down Parliament. You know, I think the alternative, and I think maybe what we should have really considered doing is nothing. Not slapping retaliatory tariffs on U.S. goods, not getting into a war words, just kind of sitting back and saying, really? Because no. you know what? Trump no, doesn't have the Trump does not have the support of Congress on this. Trump did not have the support of Congress. He barely has the support of his own cabinet on this. So uh, what? I honestly think that by playing into his hand and getting into the trade war, we gave him license to set this up as a fight. And no, now I think, we're I think tariffs that's, on that's every Bourbon. Canadian like, instinct coming out, man. I think it's time to acknowledge that we're dealing with a bully and we've been targeted by a bully who thinks we're weak. This and the only the way, the only way, this is a schoolyard. This is a schoolyard. This is a schoolyard. We are dealing with schoolyard psychology it's just that simple like there is nothing more sophisticated than that you know like it's honestly like this guy is going to pick on us as long as we continue to play nice it's just that simple like i'm afraid that's just where it is and like you don't want to continue an escalation well we are in an escalation that's like we've we've crossed the rubicon on this one it's done if you're on that side then you do have to go like to a very further extent to it. Like, you know, I don't think if you really do want to go toe to toe and say, if you hurt us, we're going to hurt you back. You got to go further than just like, you know, targeted tariffs that come into effect July 1st. There are border programs that we're currently moving forward on. We could cancel those. We could cancel exit entry data sharing with the Americans. We could talk about pulling out of, let's say, the current negotiations with North Korea. We have, we've had some back channeling involvement. We could pull out of that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we could do. This middle ground ain't going to cut it. You kind of need every, to pick a I side. love every single one of those ideas. And in fact, you want to know, I, I mean, actually think that we should start uh, Twitter storming some ideas under the hashtag. Uh, what's, what's a good hashtag? Give me a good hashtag. Don Trump clapback. 
Don Trump, Don yeah, Trump hashtag Don Trump clap back. And let's let's tweet storm some ways that we can just fuck with them. Yeah. That's what I'm for. We're nationalizing Ivanka Trump. Hashtag Don Trump clap back. It's time to get vicious, the Beaverton. Hashtag Don Trump clap back. <laughs> Oppo is supported in part by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone, from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. They source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantity needed so there's no food waste. All delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. For 50% off your first box, visit HelloFresh.com slash oppo and enter promo code oppo, O-P-P-O, when you subscribe. Tornado, Tornado round. round. So I think the first thing we should probably deal with is Gropegate. Which one? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, you know, there's actually been a couple of, you know, developments in the past week. Ken Hare, former veterans minister, will not be allowed back in cabinet after the results of an investigation found that he did touch a woman's behind inappropriately. But is that what the investigation found? Because it's like, as far as I'm concerned, it's actually not entirely clear what the investigation found. Well, he made, he okay, made a woman and, uncomfortable. We know that. Right. And he's allowed to stay in caucus because the investigation found that he would not have had feeling in his hand. Therefore, they couldn't really conclude it was sexual. I can tell you that I actually spoke to the woman who uh, made the main allegation against Ken Hare uh, that basically he grabbed her while they were taking a photo a couple years ago at a Christmas party. She's obviously disappointed about this. You know, now there's multiple allegations that Ken Hare has either said disgusting things or touched women's behinds, but has sort of said, I can't feel them because, of course, Ken Hare is quadriplegic. And that's good enough, apparently, for the prime minister. He'll be allowed to stay in caucus, as far as we know. Eh, you know, it's not great. But the actual group gate I was talking about is against the prime minister. Gasp. Okay, so I believe that the origin of this is he who shall not be named. <laughs> the the one with 3.31 million readers, according to warrenconsilla.com. We're not naming him, but it's on warrenconsilla.com, which apparently has 3.31 million readers. And Oppo's biggest fan, and also Justin Ling, your biggest fan, personally. Oh, he loves me. I can tell you to all of our 10 million listeners uh, that uh, me and Warren Kinsella are BFFs. Have you come to believe in anything yet, Justin Ling? No. Still an nihilist. <laughs> anyway, Warren Kinsella, you must not be named, started passing around this old editorial from a community newspaper in British Columbia that accused Justin Trudeau, prior to being important, of groping her. Was it groping her? It wasn't even that explicit. It was just like... He did something to a female reporter and then apparently apologized by saying, oh, if I had known you were with the national press, I wouldn't have been so forward. That's all we know. Yeah. And it was the editorial, seemingly not written by her, that uses the word groping. But eh, it's not super clear. A lot of people have obviously seized on this as some sort of evidence that, you know, something horribly untoward happened back in what was it, 2000. You know, we don't know yet. And anyone, you know, Breitbart has already written it up. Obviously, you know, that spun off a whole amount of craziness. Uh, weirdly, the New York Times used it in the lead of their story about the G7, which I thought was completely bizarre. But it's important for everyone to remember that an actual amount of investigation goes into allegations like this. Just because it appears in an editorial from 18 years ago doesn't mean it's true. And 
I know I'm going to get tweets from people being like, well, what about Patrick Brown? Patrick Brown would jump out of caucus. That's what people sound like when I read them on Twitter. Patrick Brown would jump out of caucus. The amount of work that went into the investigation into the accusations around Patrick Brown was a staggering amount of work. You had multiple women with corroborated accounts of what happened. Obviously, some of those details later were found to be a bit mistaken. But nevertheless, the allegations were well-researched. We don't have any research or evidence or even a name behind this editorial. So let's chill out. What we have is a second-hand account. Okay, we don't even have the woman herself coming forward, no. even in an anonymous way. We have a second-hand account from a woman. Like, until we get... And, like, like don't get me wrong. If that woman's listening out there and she wants to come forward, I will personally guarantee her anonymity. But until we get that woman herself coming forward and telling us exactly what the hell happened... I don't know like where we go with this. Like I just it's a double blind item from 18 years ago and I have no idea where this goes. I mean, if we do have someone coming forward and saying like no, this is what happened, man, totally different conversation. Like I'm I'm there. And please you can email me at jen.gerson@gmail.com. I would be happy to talk to you. But we just don't we don't have that information yet. Pipelines. Are they there yet, Jen? Apparently, uh, Justin Trudeau purchased a pipeline known as the Trans Mountain Pipeline from a company called Kinder Morgan and nationalized this project in the hopes that a twin to this pipeline would get built, thus providing Alberta with the requisite amount of capacity to ship its crude oil to market. And this fact alone will tear Canada apart or would have had the news of this week not completely eclipsed it. I I forgot we bought a pipeline. It's just, <laughs> I just like walked in my living room the other day. I was like, oh, God, there's a pipeline there. I totally was drunk when I bought this. I completely forgot it was there. Oh, God, how did I pay for this? I must have spread it over like four credit cards. No, I probably didn't. I just she didn't. What's, what's 4.5 billion divided by 34 million? Can someone help me with that <laughs> math? I'm a woman. It's a bunch. A bunch. It's a bunch of money. Yeah. My first response is that public money should never be going into nationalizing a project like this. And I infinitely prefer private companies that have lots of money to be taking the risks on these types of projects so that if these projects fail, it's the private companies who eat the losses and not taxpayers. Mm. That's just generally my preference rather than taxpayers going to spend money. However, do you want to hear me say something that's going to get literally everyone from every part of the political spectrum pissed off at me. Oh, of course. I think we should nationalize way more energy projects. Oh, I think the Canadian government should actually own fucking... significantly more of our energy sector. How can you I think argue the fact that so much in... of this privatizes is horrifying. How, how in the world can you argue in favor of like or against supply-managed dairy and for the nationalization of oil and gas. Like, because we get profits. Has Venezuela taught you nothing? <laughs> oh God, nothing. Venezuela. I think there's a very good argument to be made that if we're going to have people digging up our natural resources, the government should own the project, not just royalties. You know, I want profit. I want a stake in the company that's doing this work because as a majority or even one of the biggest shareholders in whatever given project, I, the taxpayer, the government is going to have a say in how it gets done. You know, I think as a government partner in a private project, you have some authority to say, maybe we're going to take a bit less profit this year but extract the oil in a long-term sustainable way. Government investment in private projects, especially natural resource projects, tend to be more risk-averse, tend to be more focused on long-term economic gain as well as dividends, and not just short-term rip it out of the ground and make as much money as quick as humanly possible. I think government tends to be a very good partner in private 
development. Oh, wow. Some assumptions about what's going on in the oil sands today. You are aware that, like, the other thing that government ownership tends to penalize is innovation. And if there's one thing that the oil sands desperately needs, or the tar sands desperately needs, it's innovation to try and make its extraction more energy efficient, but also in order to reduce its greenhouse gas intensity emissions at the point of extraction. One of the main reasons there's actually efficiencies being created in the system is because there's a government-mandated pool of money that goes into private industry to develop projects. We can do a lot more of that if we actually have stake in those companies. We could actually force the Shell Canadian government partnership to go do private development if we're part of the company. Yes, and I'm not necessarily opposed to that if it works. The only thing I would say is that it's all hunky-dory until the oil price crashes as it did, and now the, now taxpayers are on the loss for billions of dollars on all of this investment. But now we're going to wrap this up. Socialist. So, Jen, imagine the scene. I'm sitting in the corner of a giant, very drab convention center with a bunch of other reporters as thousands of drunk on excitement, Doug Ford supporters are screaming bloody murder as this sound plays on repeat after Doug Ford was just elected Premier of Ontario. It is, I think, hard to imagine what the seventh layer of hell is until you're in exactly that moment. Whatever, you know, the people voted, fine, fair enough. Hearing that song on repeat is like getting waterboarded with purple Gatorade. It's not that bad. It, it is the, it's the worst song I've ever heard. It's not that bad. Uh, no, it's, Looks like it's, we disagree it's, again, it's Jen. It's a jingle. What are you, what's, what's wrong with you? It's a fucking po- political... It's like better than Nickelback. I mean, come on. Uh, are you a Nickelback fan? No. Uh, kind of sounds like you are, Jen. No, I'm not. <laughs> Well, that was Oppo. I'm glad you learned something, Justin. I learned that Jen Gerson is a Nickelback fan. That's fake news. Let's reach into the old hate mail bag. Oh, it's that part of the show where we learn why people hate us this week. From Twitter, Chimp Howl at Chimp underscore Howl. Hi, guys. Please support us on Patreon so we can provide boring ass Canadian centrism with a low fade haircut. Low fade. I don't know what I don't know what a low fade haircut means. What is that? It's my haircut. Thank you for noticing my haircut, Chimp. Oh, the shave. It's actually a high fade. It's a high tight fade. Oh, that's isn't that kind of fashy? Isn't that a little fashy now? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, yes. Uh... You have a fashy haircut. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, my haircut's a little bit fashy. When I came home, my boyfriend asked me when I signed up for Hitler Youth. But there's another Chimp Hell tweet. Oh, lol. These fucking tools don't even disagree on anything! Exclamation point. That's 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 fair. Yeah, that is fair. I agree. We have a one-star review from username Filthy Rat Baby. The review is entitled "None of these are hot takes. These are as highly tepid at best. Good to get new voices, but only if they have new ideas and/or some level of maturity." I've never been so swiftly bored by a Canada Land thingy. Great idea, great name, but not worth your time. Thank you for contributing. Joke's on you, filthy rat baby, because neither our name nor our idea is that good. (laughs) We have another one-star review from iTunes from Le Saboteur. (laughs) 
He says, true opposites. These opposing views are blowing my mind. Do I listen to the centrist conservative or the centrist who leans conservative? So hard to choose. Le saboteur. This is this is le, le saboteur. This is because you admitted that you considered so voting PC in the Ontario election. This is all your yeah, fault. It's you true. know that, right? Can I just say I would a hundred percent watch an animated cartoon called Le Saboteur and the Filthy Rat Baby? <laughs> uh, thank you, so Le good. Saboteur and Filthy Rat Baby, for your comments and feedback. I think that you'll find that they are of a strain of the negative criticism that we received here on Oppo. We do want to know what you think. At some point, we might read some of the positive reviews, but probably not, unless you have a username like Filthy Rat Baby. No, no, no. I think we should read some of the positive reviews because we can't keep incentivizing these shitty reviews. <laughs> it's true. At a certain point, I'm going to throw a brick through my window. I'm going to have to read the note on air. You can email us at oppo at candlelandshow.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at OppoCast, and obviously on iTunes, where you can join all of the enlightened commenters like Le Sebateur. Uh Please don't throw a brick through my window. The next episode of Oppo will be out in two weeks. Canada Land's original quote-unquote deep dive politics show Commons will be out next week. This episode was produced by David Crosby for Canada Land Media. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Music by Nathan Burley. I have the last word this week, and that word is quota. For the people. For the people. It's got a nice callback.